There will be graphic stuff in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Power Not Pity, a podcast all about the lives of disabled people of color. I'm your host, Bri M. In this show, we talk about all types of stories, from ones about desire and humanity to ones about humor and the nonsensical. I truly believe that each episode is a step towards dismantling ableism. And of course, we ask each person, what's your disabled power? Now here's an episode about Iman Ramali, one of the strongest disabled people of color I have met on this podcast journey. She also has some of the best clapbacks I have ever heard. She has a huge following on Twitter, and that's because she tells the truth about everything. Iman is a Black, Native American, and Palestinian woman who lives in New York City. She began writing poetry and prose early in life. Her natural creativity steered her towards becoming a spoken word artist, educator, and youth organizer for dozens of nonprofit organizations in New York City, including Fury, Casa Atabex Ache, the Jed Foundation, and the Audre Lorde Project. She went on to teach creative writing, community organizing, history, and political science workshops to youth. She's focused on organizing around disability rights and staying true to her passion for community connectedness and proven strength. She started Amped Up, an organization that helps disabled people to be creative and live lives they love through fashion, creativity, and social gatherings. She's also putting out graphic novels and children's books where disabled people are the main characters. And she facilitates workshops to support businesses who employ disabled people to better support and interact with their staff. Iman is currently the Accessoride Campaign Coordinator and Organizer at the nonprofit organization New York Lawyers for the Public Interest. She does organizing around making Accessoride better for their customers, which is not easy to do. She was diagnosed with an aggressive form of lupus at the age of 17. In the 12 years that she has had the condition, she has had a myriad of complications. I was uh, diagnosed with a pretty aggressive form of lupus when I was 17, and it apparently is the only one of its kind like this aggressive in the U.S. Uh, For the first, uh, I guess, 12 years of my lupus, since I'm almost 34, the first 12 years of my lupus was just, I had four heart attacks, I had several strokes, I had a spleen infarction, I had uh, vision went out and then came back into my left eye. I suffered uh, severe neuropathy where mm. suddenly I was paralyzed from the neck down with no explanation and had to learn how to walk again and basically use my entire body all over again. Connected to my lupus is also this very aggressive clotting disorder that doesn't like me apparently and puts random clots throughout my body in ways that I can't control. And I have to take a very, very strong and expensive blood thinner 
and uh, didn't realize that I had to take this specific blood thinner until after I tried all the cheaper ones. Oh, no. Um, apparently, when I have crazy emotional stress, my lupus is like, okay, I'm just going to make some shit happen. I don't really care. And that's exactly what happened. And I think it was it was a combination, like a series of events. I had a, a miscarriage when I was like 27 or 28. It's my, I guess, my educated assumption and guess that there was a clot from that, and it traveled down into my foot and caused uh, gangrene. I mean, in the beginning, my foot doctor thought it was uh, just a blister. This was really interesting to hear. I was reflecting on what a man spoke about, and I have to say that this was all too familiar to me. I'm sure that a man knows her own body, just like Serena Williams does, just like Erica Garner did. But what do they all have in common? An outright dismissal of their pain and their medical needs. A man made an educated guess about her miscarriage. Serena had to fight to keep her life during her pregnancy, and Erica Garner died from a heart attack only months after having her child. In my mind, these three women all suffered from the prejudices that are inherent to the medical industrial complex. We expect to receive care from our doctors, right? We expect them to fix what is wrong with us. But what can we expect when they don't consider our opinions as vital to our care process? Yeah. And then two months later, all my right toes were all like bright red and my foot hurt all the time and if I didn't have my leg brace I, I wouldn't have been able to walk um, and by the time I got to the vascular surgeons they were like yeah you have to come into the hospital and we need to keep you for a long time and try to fix this but they couldn't fix it they tried and tried and tried they, they put me on heparin while I was in the hospital so much so that my blood my blood got too thin and they were like okay we need to stop and here's where things get graphic. A man explains her experiences in the medical industrial complex in explicit detail. Anyone who might be triggered by this, please skip forward a few minutes. By my sixth surgery, they cut off the below the knee part on my right leg. Um, and I thought, oh, this isn't so bad. It's fine. It's just, I still have both my knees. I was in and out for like a good month and a half, and then the last time I was out, my knee started hurting really, really badly. It was just like un it was unimaginable pain. As so I went back, they one night they were like, "Okay, we have to clean your wound because we think there's there's an infection." And then later on, they told me it was a MRSA. And they cleaned out my leg, and this is literally my leg is open mm -hmm. no stitches and they're cleaning it out and when I say this is that was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life like my mom was there just holding me while I screamed because it just it it felt like hot pokers going into my legs yeah. and that was and they they had me on like the bare minimum medication and I'm like you guys are so great at pain management I love it so not only did she face being under medicated Doctors were afraid to treat her altogether. This hurt a lot to hear, because I remember a time when I was over-medicated, 
I was basically given a high dose of horse tranquilizer. Can you believe that? It was like being in train spotting. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but it was like being in it. I was unable to move, I had to be carried around, and I was unable to eat because I couldn't even lift my fork. Again, here's another instance of a healthcare professional invalidating my opinions. A lot of the doctors were my age. They couldn't deal with seeing me like that. And a lot of them said they wanted to be taken off my case, which is so great for medical care. It's like, the, mm -hmm. like look, I'm not your friend. I might be funny. I might be, you know, I, I talk to you guys. I'm here a lot. You get to know me. But you're supposed to be my doctor. So act like a goddamn professional and like yeah. a doctor. Get out yeah. of your feelings. And then finally I came back and uh, they sent me home again after a week after that. And then I came back and then they said, okay, we can't fix that. They gave me so many antibiotics that I got C. diff. And if you don't know what that is, that's like you have zero bacteria in your stomach and in your system and you can't eat anything because right. your stomach is completely messed up. And all I could eat if I ate anything was like bananas and white bread. Oh, no. And yeah, and I was. Like two and of I, the whitest things ever. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was the brat diet, and I'm allergic mm -hmm. to apples, and oh, I no. drink a bunch of tea too, and that's it. And so it's just like, wow, this sucks. And uh, the doctor came and was like, yeah, we can't fix your, your MRSA. We're going to have to take your knee. And that's that's one that hit, like, really hit me, that, like, mm. oh, shit, I'm going to lose my knee. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't, how am I going to live? How's this? How's that? Like, I didn't know, because I, I was new to being an amputee, and I remember, like, laying in the ICU with the doctor, and I was just, like, crying in her arms for like, a good half an hour, because I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, and after that, I was so drugged up all the time that it's like a, a sort of a, it's not a blur, but it's like everything is like jumbled together. And then uh, they took my knee. I remember waking up out of the surgery and flipping out because it seemed too short to me. And I was like, you guys took off more than my knee. What the hell is the matter? I, I was not, I wasn't happy. The entire time that my right foot's acting up and I lose my foot and I lose my knee, my left foot has clots in it. It's starting to turn red, then brown, then black. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm taking this freaking medication. I've been in the hospital this whole, like, I was literally just out of the hospital for a week and then back in for three weeks, back in for four weeks, out of the hospital for another week, back in again for three or four weeks. And it's just like, what the heck is the problem? I, I, I really didn't understand. They tried to do a bypass on my left leg, but my veins were so shot because I had been in the hospital so much and because they're tiny that I couldn't, there wasn't anything they could do. And they tried to save that leg too. And I was like, first of all, this is this is painful. None of you guys have ever felt this before. I can't make you big in the middle of the night if you have some horrible phantom pains and muscle pains. 
and whatever other pain is going on. And, and that's it. Oh, well, just want to deal with it. And wow. I'm just like, you guys, I hope you don't, like, walk outside and get hit by a car one day because, you know, this shit is not fun for me. I know it's not fun for you guys. And I'm the one that has to deal with it. Do you think they, they they know that black people feel pain? It's it's one of those common things where they're like, if you're a black or brown person, they're like, oh, you know how to deal. Yeah. Oh, am I am I suddenly not a human being that bleeds red just like you? On one hand, they treat us like we're inferior, but they expect for us to be superior mm-hmm. and more physically equipped to deal with whatever physical thing happens to us or whatever pain or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I might have a high threshold for pain, but that's not because I am physically designed to. That's because I've had 18 years of experience dealing with it. Right. And you figure it out. You you take, you take a hot bath with Epsom salt. You, shit, you go hang out with your friends and smoke a little weed because that's literally the only thing you can do. You make sure that you have your pain meds or whatever. Like, you figure out ways to not be in the pain, even though you are in pain, or at least to lessen it. Because, unfortunately, society has this whole thing. Like, now, apparently, there's an opioid epidemic. Why? Because white folks are dying? This has been happening forever. Now you care? Okay, because more white folks are dying. I mm-hmm. see what it is. We're not actually important. Mm-hmm. I thought I was an American. My bad. I mean, and I can go on and on since I have a, the background in, in nonprofit stuff and community organizing, but I feel like the entire system in this country is designed to make people of color fail. They set it up in a way so that if you if you come from a low-income background, like, I don't have any money growing up. But it's just like when you're part of all these different minority groups, it's like, you know, it's like that game when you take one step forward and one step back. Like, I'm yeah. I'm way, way in the back. And I've been in the back since I got on this earth, even before I became an MVP. Time and time again, she faces discrimination, but a man doesn't take much from other people's comments. I'm trying my best to bring us all forward together. But when you have a whole system obviously and clearly working against you so that not only that you you don't fail, but a, mm-hmm. a whole group of you fail together and you're and you're sick or you're homeless or you're poor or or you have doctors who don't want to have like proper health care for you. I mean, it's it's just real for us. And so when you have people who are disabled, but also part of whatever struggle is going on, and you have all these various disenfranchised groups that you're part of, suddenly you become this, like, for lack of a better term, an anomaly in that level because people are like, wait. You're you're part of all these things, and you're still here. You're still alive. You're still yeah. like, well, what choice do I have? Am I am I gonna sit in the corner and cry about it and not live my life, or am I gonna fight tooth and nail as I have been doing the last thirty three and a half years of my life, mm-hmm. and keep doing it and make sure that I bring everybody else up with me? 
And I prefer the latter. Like, I'm not, I'm not a quitter. I'm not the type of person that gives up on anything. And I feel like that's clear because of my medical history and because of the doctor saying, wow, you're still alive. Like, thank you for reminding me that I should be dead. Yes, like what do you how you what are you supposed to say? You you're expecting for me to sit there and be like, Yeah, I could be dead, but I'm not. Thank God. Like, yes, thank God, because it's a freaking miracle that I'm even here. But also think my willpower because I know there's been plenty of times where I wanted to give up and I was like, you know what? No. Like, I'm not gonna give up. I'm going to keep on going and keep on fighting and keep on pushing. You know, that's that's my whole thing with, like, being an amputee. Like, you, there's one thing when you're below the knee. You still have your knees. You can figure it out, walk around the stuff. But when you're learning a mechanical knee, and you have to move your leg, your thigh, your body in a completely different way to walk normal and natural. Two years ago, I was still on a wheelchair, because mm-hmm. you don't get your you don't get your legs right away. It's not like like you 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 get it downloaded into your brain how to walk with the knee. Like it's it's right. all this work and it's all this extra work. And I already sweat a lot, and it's like even more of a workout for me just to walk around. But I do it, and I still have the walker, and and I'm working on going from the walker to a crutch and hopefully to nothing, but it's going to, you know, it's going to take time. And, and, you know, even though four years is a little bit of time, it's a long time too for me, but it's also a short time in uh, amputee land, I guess. Everybody goes at their own pace. And then at the same time, like, I still have all – all of my looser stuff to deal with. I'm supposed to be like Spider-Man and be able to climb up buildings and be able to run down the block already. No, even if I was completely healthy aside from my being an amputee, it still takes work and time. And, you know, people just want you to like hurry up and just it's like, you know what? I'm kind of too busy, like saving the world. <laughs> so, yeah. What I'm trying to do with this podcast is just show people what what our lives are like, you know, truthfully and honestly and, like, candidly, you know. Like, all I'm trying to do is highlight our community. Just put our community on, you know. Like, we don't get to hear stories about people like this because we live in, we live in this able-bodied world. When I was first named, probably like maybe like nine or ten months after me being an amputee, I was still stuck in my able-bodied mindset that I couldn't, what what would my life look like? Oh, my gosh, I can't even think about where it's going to be in a year, let alone six months, let alone next month. And four years later, I'm a completely different person because all I did was acclimate to whatever it is. I I changed around the way I did things. And so I can do anything that some other able-bodied person can do, almost anyway. And Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. And I have made sure that I can do it just as as much as they can. And when people ask me, I mean, sometimes I don't think there are any stupid questions. And then someone asks me a stupid question. And I'm just like, 
first of all, stranger, why are you asking me such personal things? Why yeah. is it your business to ask me about my sex life, to ask me uh, if if my legs come off, or to ask me to send you pictures of, of my legs without my prosthetics? Will and I live in a, in a, up on the second floor, uh-huh. and so I have to walk up four steps, and then I hop up the rest of the 20 steps upstairs. And when I was first hanging out with him, we've been together almost two years, his downstairs neighbor was like, oh, you're going to heaven for being with her. First of all, how do you know I'm not a bitch? How do you know that I'm not just some, like, fling of a person he's hanging out with? You don't know me from Adam. Why are you assuming that he's using me as a way to get into heaven? Like, come on. That's just, like, ignorant crap. And when people assume that we that that Will and I's relationship is not like everybody else's relationship, that just shows just how ignorant society is about disability. Yeah. And just how they don't they don't even put two and two together that like just because I lost my legs doesn't mean I lost my freaking vagina. And it doesn't mean that I've lost any any desire to be with someone else. Mm-hmm. Or that I am not even worthy of of being with someone else. Well, while I was in a wheelchair, the entire time I was like some of the worst the, the worst experiences in my, in my whole part of being an amputee, aside from learning how to walk better. Because some of the things these guys would say was just like, "Wow, you are like you are an awesome human being. Like, how are you so great and amazing?" Yeah. So like. Give me a chance, and oh, oh, you you want to see what sex is like with an amputee? Oh, okay, I I see how it is. Well, you think I should be pitied? I I actually gave up when I when I met Will, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just be a cool auntie. Like I'm okay with that. I love my nieces and nephew. My brother and sister and I are cool. And then I I met him, and then I was just like. I guess it falls in your lap when you're not looking anymore. Let's take a break. It's the power, can you feel it? Just be yourself, the power is. The shield's what you've been through. And your mind is a weapon, put it to you. Power, 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 power. And we're back. This episode just keeps on getting better. A man has more to say about stereotypes that able-bodied people have about disabled people. Let's listen in. I am not a a level of someone that you should be saying, oh, my life could be like hers, so I need to be a good person. My life is awesome. And if you need me to make yourself feel better about your life, you have some other problems. And I'm not the one to, to say, okay, well, like, one woman in my sister's building, she was with, she had like four or five young kids with her and a couple of them were hers. And we're waiting for the elevator to go downstairs and the kids are like, oh, wow, your legs are so cool. And I was like, oh, thank you. You know, they're, they're you know, one of them's fancy, one of them's just regular. And the mother was like, oh, don't, don't be bad, kids, because if you're bad, that'll happen to you. Mm. <laughs> and I just like, looked at my sister and I was like, 
Like, and I didn't want to cuss her out because she was in front of her kids. And I was like, well, actually, I'm a superhero. And I go around saving people. And that's what I do as a living. Don't look at it as a bad thing because I'm up and around. See that, right? Like, yeah. it, 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 just, it just amazes me that people have this, this misconception that, number one, that disabled people should just be locked in an institution and ignored. Mm-hmm. And two that we don't have active lives where we have things to do and people to see and places to go. Like mm-hmm. I, when I'm, when I'm out at a bar with my friends, people are like, Oh my God, it's so good to see you, you out. Where, where was I? What do you mean? Out? I don't have a, a life. I don't want to go get a drink. I don't want to have dinner with folks. Like what? It's yeah. just like, I'm, I'm 33, not, 500 and regardless I want to live my life yeah and and I'm gonna and I'm living it better than I was living it before I lost my legs and I felt like I had to I, I had to like lose my legs mourn my legs and let it go in order to be like burst from this cocoon to become a new butterfly but yeah. some folks have a problem with this current butterfly and I'm just like, why are you jealous? Because I have cool ass legs. Some of the problems she faces, like a lot of disabled people in New York City, is with Accessoride. It's a paratransit system that is run by the MTA. Think Lyft, but for disabled folks. It is notorious for being ignorant of the needs of disabled people. I've experienced my fair share of waiting hours on end to get to my destination. Unfortunately, it is all we have to get around the five boroughs, unless we want to take the train or the bus, which can be gravely unsafe and horribly inaccessible. Man's work with New York lawyers for the public interest is all about advocating for disabled people in town meetings with government officials. I went with her to just one town meeting, and it was appalling to see how little the MTA cares about disabled people the ones who they were hired to serve. Yeah, since I've had this job, it's, you know, it's sort of like changed around my, uh, not changed around my view of Accessoride, but of what it can be and what it should be. You actually, before I even started working, they'll be able to look, I'm already going to do some town hall meetings. Either we can do this together and I will tell you what I find. So luckily they hired me and we've been doing it together. And the only unfortunate thing is that even though Accessory knows exactly who I am and knows exactly what I'm doing, the service has not changed at all. Is, is my time not important because I have metal legs? Is my mm-hmm. time not important because I happen to use a walker? That just makes me feel like they not only respect, don't respect our time, but don't actually think that we have important things to do or important places to go. Believe me, if I could take the bus and the train, I would take the damn bus and the train. Could you imagine if it's not an accessible station and I'm friggin' climbing up the steps with my walker? Like, how's that going to work? What's going to happen with that? If you guys had better accessibility within a station, I would be able to take whatever I was taking instead of having to rely on accessories because it's so unreliable. 
If I could walk up a block and a half, I would take the damn train. Because yeah. every time I've tried to walk around in Manhattan, nobody's paying attention to me. People have bumped into me and almost knocked me over. And if my balance wasn't as good or I wasn't holding on for dear life to my walker, I would have fallen over. I take excessive like practically every day. And uh-huh. I to some of the same problems, you know, and it, it makes me really bitter about the the fact that, you know, I'm a native New Yorker too. And uh-huh. the, just the fact that, you know, New York City doesn't really have our needs and our wants and our priorities in mind. As a whole, this country has not. Like, why did it take passing the ADA in the 1990s to fix the way this country treats disabled people? Like, before, yeah. they were just like, oh, we're, we're not going to worry about accessibility into a building. And now, yeah, we're just going to lock you guys up in these nursing homes and rehab places. And that's it. That's the best we can do. What do you mean that's the best you can do? How is that the best you can do? Would you want someone to do that to your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or you? People don't get it until you make it personal. The man has had to deal with inappropriate conversations with accessory drivers, men who follow her into public establishments, and people who ask her questions or make assumptions about her body. 74% of people have also had inappropriate conversations with their drivers. In the beginning, folks didn't want to, like, when we started this campaign, they were like, oh, maybe we should, you know, not talk about that. Why? Because you don't think that people are being sexually harassed? You just don't think that disabled women or disabled men could be sexually harassed. Like, this mm-hmm. guy was on the corner. He was he started asking me questions about my legs. So I was like, oh, whatever, not a big deal. I don't care. He proceeds to follow me all the way down the block, across the street, and into the Starbucks. And then was like, oh, fancy meeting you here. And I'm like, did you did you just follow me from down the street and across the street? He was like, yeah, you know, I just, I just wanted to see if I could take you out. And I was like, well, what you just did is not okay. Luckily, there were a whole bunch of people in the Starbucks, but I was just like, this happens to me all the time, and people mm. think that it doesn't because I have metal legs. It's like that has nothing to do with that. If somebody wants to be inappropriate with you, they will, and it doesn't matter where you meet them or where they're at. Some people come up to me and try to touch me, and it's like, why are you touching me? Who are you? Why do you think? that just because I'm disabled that you have the right to put your hands on me. You don't know me, but I, I constantly surprise people because folks don't think that, first of all, that I'm, that I have a brain and they're yeah. just like, Oh my God, you're so well informed. It's like, what did you think that was going to go away? What I lost my leg, when I was in a wheelchair, people would never talk to me. They'd always talk to whoever I was with. But it it just shows how this country is. This country does not take care of or give a crap about disabled folks. Like, I feel like if I don't do it, who's going to do it? I have a big mouth. I have a big mouth. (laughs) I I know a lot of things. I have a lot of followers on Facebook and on Twitter. I want to use that. I want people to see that, like, disability is not 
what people think it is. I feel like the movement is, it is absolutely more important than the both of us. I have to go 100% with it. And when you're like a woman of color and you already mm-hmm. deal with so much other stuff and you try to like take a moment for self-care, the mm-hmm. world is like, no. But luckily, this is a group of people who actually don't want me to burn out and mm-hmm. want me to be okay so that I can do the work. They recognize that like me being okay is part of this campaign. <laughs> I'm so amazed that they that they do that for me because they're they're awesome and amazing. This was like such a stroke of luck that I even came yeah. across this job and that yeah. they they saw the value in me and then hired me. I'm so, really glad for you that you have an ideal uh, job situation for you. But it it really makes me a, a little bit sad to hear that because, you know, it shouldn't have to be a stroke of luck for you. It shouldn't have exactly. to be, you know, something that you, like, are surprised about because the world should be able to adapt in the same ways that we do. The world should bend for us, not the other way around. I think the world is so used to being able-bodied someone else comes into the picture, they're like, Uh no, we can't accommodate you. It's always an accommodation. It's not like just the way it is. Am I not American enough? Am I not enough of a contributor in this country? Being broke and disabled in New York is not a good look. Like, this one is that because I'm not mentally incapacitated, I couldn't get any uh, further services. Wow. What? I didn't realize that you have to also have a a mental disability in order to get full services when you're already physically disabled. And it wasn't for a lack of trying either. I tried to, I I applied to so many different jobs all over the place. And because I was so sick throughout these years, I had gaps in my resume. And they'd be like, oh, why do you have so many gaps? And I'm like, have you not seen my legs? Have you not? I I have, like, my hands are, like, misshapen because of my neuropathy that happened years ago. I was consistently sick for a number of years. Years ago, before my leg braces, I had a bunch of employers be like, oh, well, this isn't really working for us. I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. I can't turn my lupus off. I can't right, turn off right. my clotting disorder. This country is like, instead of actually curing diseases, they just want to, like, they just want to give you, like, a, a placebo to keep it just well enough, but not 100%, so that you can stay on these, these medications forever. My ex has this theory. He was just like, you know, maybe it's also like a place thing. Like maybe they put out certain chemicals in certain places and cause these autoimmune disorders to flare up. And I don't want to think that these folks are so malicious. But at mm-hmm. the same time, when all these when all these studies come out of all these different chemical warfare things they've been doing to people of color, the majority of the women that I've met that have lupus are all black women and Chinese women. Why is there such a high concentration? Once again, like, and I don't want to think that the government is being so malicious, but 
because they've done this already, that's a concerning thing. That's like, a, oh, wow, you guys are, like, straight up evil. You guys, like, really just want to make so much money for these pharmaceutical companies that you don't give a crap if you're killing entire populations. And, and I think that they probably assumed that I would have been dead 10 years ago. For whatever reason, I'm not. Like, some miracle kept me here, and they didn't realize that, I, that I'm harder to kill than they thought, which is, you know, mm-hmm. sort of funny and ironic at the same time. And beautiful. I really do believe that in sharing our stories, that's part of how things will change. Ninety percent of my friends are able-bodied people mm-hmm. who had no experience with anyone in a wheelchair, didn't know any amputees, didn't know anybody just disabled of any kind. And they were like, "Wow, you changed around my whole view of this. You're you're out here living your life, and you're disabled. That's so new to me." And I'm like, "Well, shit, it's new to me too. Lupus is a whole other ball of wax." But nobody, mm-hmm. it was like a sort of invisible disability for so many years. And so right. people automatically assumed that there was nothing wrong with me. Even before I was diagnosed, my mother thought I was just joking, that I was wow. making something up, that I didn't want to do housework, that I, I didn't really have chest pains. I was just, I was just lying. And then when she figured it out, when we were in the hospital, she was so apologetic. And even all these years later, she's just like wants to do all this stuff for me. I was 15 when I started to feel sick, and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 17. At the time, it was like exercising and running track, and then suddenly I was like feeling really tired, really out of it. And then I couldn't eat anything. And then I was like, oh, my God, am I developing an eating disorder? But it wasn't an eating disorder. My body was just literally freaking out. Because my lupus was suddenly there, and it was just like, I'm going to just poke at your heart, I'm going to poke at your spleen, and I'm going to poke at your, all your internal organs and your arteries and everything else. And I went from being like a, real, a healthy, fit, 150-pound, 5'8 woman, and I went down to 108 pounds and looked like an alien. And mm. I looked sick. And I didn't know what what it was. And, and if I think if I didn't go to the hospital when I went that September, I probably would have died I, because they said I had a heart attack outside the hospital and I had a heart attack inside the hospital because they didn't believe me when I told mm-hmm. them I was having chest pains. And wow. when they finally uh, saw that there, there was like um when you have a heart attack, there's like heart attack residue in your blood. Mm-hmm. And they were like, there was a lot of heart attack residue in your blood, which leads us to believe that you recently had a heart attack while you were in the hospital. And I was in the hospital for three weeks before they figured out what it was as much as my lupus is responsible for a lot of this stuff. Like living healthy is really, really important. Luckily, I don't have any other drug issues or alcohol issues, and every once in a while I'll get a drink, and it's only because I don't have time to do it, but, like, I would love to have, have, you know, more alcohol more often, but it's just like, well, oh, well, like, I I don't really have the time for it, and I just try Mm -hmm. to eat as many vegetables as I can. I still do my yoga. 
I try to like meditate as much as I can right. and try to keep myself as, as zen as I can with my usual potty mouth and, and I keep them moving. I know it might be scary, but joining the disabled community can happen at any time and probably will happen at the end of your life. After all, the disability community is the largest minority in the U.S., but the community is so strong and vibrant and welcoming, you'll have no worries about whether or not you'll be alone. Some people might be like, but oh my God, you lost your legs. It's like, but I gained my life. What would you trade to have your life? Legs? Okay. Like, yeah, it sucks, but it's doesn't suck now like it just it's just a matter of time not a matter of you know having something be better or worse or whatever i'm i'm mm-hmm. getting used to it and that's, mm-hmm. that's all there is and maybe in mm-hmm. 10 or 15 years prosthetics will be completely different maybe in 10 or 15 years they'll actually create a drug that changes around autoimmune disorders and cures lupus maybe another 10 or 15 years the this country will start to treat disabled people like people. My life isn't over. My life has mm-hmm. like literally I feel like I was at a rebirth and mm-hmm. I'm a completely new person and mm-hmm. I have cool prosthetic legs now and I miss my heels, but I have all these new kitty shoes. I love cats <laughs> by the way. And <laughs> I I love my kitty shoes and they're awesome. And maybe eventually, way eventually down the line, when I get better at walking, I'll get on heels. But I am totally fine with my kitty shoes. Like, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> and, you, just, you, you know, and, and well, yeah, not every day is easy. <laughs> if life was supposed to be easy, we would not be on this earth dealing with the things that we're dealing with. Right, right. So that's just how it is. And I am, I am built to last. I am tough. And I am, you know, I can push myself and I, I have a support system around me. I have a great relationship and a great job and I'm going to keep on being great. And that's simple as that. So what's her advice for able-bodied people who want to challenge ableism? Have a conversation. Get to know somebody. And don't ask dumbass questions. Talk to them like you would talk to any of your other friends. Because you never know who's going to become your best friend just because you talk to them. You never know where you're going to make a connection. Yeah. And, you know, because I, as much as I love being an inspiration for people, I am really tired of being everybody's token, disabled, black <laughs> Palestinian friend. No, it's not my job to be your token anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. meet some people. Mm-hmm. Go out and do like do some things. If people want to open their minds, shit, hit me up on Facebook. You know, just be aware that I, if you ask a, a dumb question, I'm gonna give you a smart ass answer. <laughs> but like, I know a bunch of people who are cool, amazing, wonderful, brilliant, beautiful, talented, intelligent people. Who just happened to be disabled? Like, yeah. we're people with disabilities, but we're people first. I, I still go through all my lady things every month. 
Will and I still have an intimate relationship. Eventually, I'm going to pop out some kids. Like, my life is just like everybody else's. <laughs> and it's just so, it's, it's so funny to me that people suddenly think that you're not going to live your life if you suddenly have a disability. I'm right. like, I didn't get that, that newsletter. Maybe you got that newsletter that your life is over, but mine's not. So, of course, I had to ask her, what's your disabled power? I knew whatever it was, it was going to be epic. I feel like I feel like it would have to be something connected to like infinite lives. I've almost died like, I don't know, fifteen times mm-hmm. and I kept bouncing back. And mm-hmm. so I feel like like on Street Fighter when you had like you know, you have three lives but then suddenly you might get like an additional life. I, I feel like I have unlimited lives that I'm really hard to kill because I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like Chun Lee. Like I'm like that gangster. <laughs> I'm like Chun Lee. I still have these physical issues, but I'm still so hard to kill. <laughs> okay. okay. It's whatever you want it to be. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I wish, I wish that I could like be a, like a shapeshifter into a cat. I would love that. I would so love that power. Yes. Our lives are just as valuable and complicated and beautiful, much like a man's story was. Of course, towards the end of the interview, where she discusses her struggles with ableism, it reminded me of my own struggle. We have so much in common, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we are both black people. If there's one thing I took away from this episode, it's that representation matters. Say it with me. Representation matters. Let's do a thought experiment. Imagine a world where disabled people, especially those of color, authentically show up in movies, TV, and books. What if disability justice was taught in our schools? What a world that would be. If you want to hear more from a man, her handle on Facebook is aman.ramawi. Her handle on Twitter is aman underscore ramawi. Want to know more about Power Not Pity or listen to past episodes? Take a look at my website. That's PowerNotPity.com. Check out my Facebook page at the handle PowerNotPity. My Twitter and Instagram accounts have the same handle too. Shout out goes to God, Holly. That's G-O-D-H-O-L-L-Y for the music. The song you heard throughout the episode is called Power and is actually featured on the CW TV show, Black Lightning. It's a really good show about a black family of superheroes. Right up my alley, right? If you like what you heard and would like to keep the show going, please consider checking out my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash power not pity. I hope you appreciated this episode as much as I did.